What do you say when someone asks you for a reason to believe in God? Well, if you're stuck for an answer, then our Bible talks here on Search for Truth should help. Today, Brian, our Bible teacher, starts a new series called Four Good Reasons to Believe in God. And the first reason Brian's chosen for us to believe in God is creation and how Paul, in his letter to the Romans, sets out the Bible's own defence for faith. So anyone who argues against believing in God doesn't have a leg to stand on. Ah, John, that's a, a slang or colloquial English expression you've used. That saying, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. But perhaps most will have heard of it. In any case, if you haven't, it means a person can't even begin to defend his or her point of view. What you may not be aware of is the fact that more or less that very same expression is found in the New Testament of the Bible. Twice, in fact, and both within the space of a few verses found towards the end of Romans chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Apologetics is the name given to defending Christianity, which is what we're called on to do in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that is, to make a defence of the Christian hope within us. Sometimes it seems as if we're on the back foot when doing this. The media, often with inaccurate conclusions, drawn from an all-too-simplistic misunderstanding of science, dismisses what it scornfully sees as our indefensible position. At times, an atheistic scientist promotes a one-sided account of his or her specialist subject and so becomes the media's favourite poster child. Even an expert scientist can be a very amateur philosopher and straying into that territory, he or she can make an impressive but flawed attack on Christianity. So the Bible calls upon Christians to make a defence of their position. But it goes even further than that. It goes on the offensive. And it does that in the section of the Bible letter which the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians who were then at Rome. This is the section we've already referred to, which is around the end of Romans chapter 1. Twice, very boldly, the Bible says there that it's those who refuse to acknowledge God who are quite literally in an indefensible position. They are said to be without excuse, meaning they have no defence. Of course, they'd be the last people to think that. This is very far from their perception of reality, while they continue to suppress the truth, having exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For even though they knew God, they no longer see fit to acknowledge God. In place of the popular assumption that it's Christianity which doesn't have a leg to stand on, the Bible presents the opposite view that it's actually atheism which has no leg to stand on. But as we all know, it's one thing to make a claim. It's quite another matter to support it convincingly with compelling arguments. But the Apostle Paul goes on to do exactly that. In fact, he gives four main supports. All are contained in the first three chapters of the letter which was first written to the Romans and which is preserved as the sixth book of the New Testament. And in this series of four programmes, I'd like to look at each one of them in turn. We begin today then with the first, which is found in Romans chapter 1 and concerns the evidence from creation all around us. Its testimony points to the existence of the one true God whom the Bible reveals. Here's how the Apostle Paul makes that point first in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. He says God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they, that is, those who deny the true creator God, they are without excuse. Simply put, what Paul is saying is this, creation is evidence of a creator, as design is evidence for a designer. In particular, life is evidence for a life giver in the shape of the living God. The extremely delicate complexity of the arrangements necessary for life on this planet are far less well explained by the assumption or belief that life is purely the result of an accidental combination of chance events. Then again, in the words of Stephen Hawking, the laws of science, as we know them at present, contain many fundamental numbers, and he would tell us those numbers are associated with things like gravity and the expansion of the universe. But he goes on to say that the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seems to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. Scientists say, in fact, that if any one of these six numbers were different by as little as one part in a thousand, life as we know it would not seem possible. And this is such a remarkable fact that Anthony Flew, an academic philosopher who promoted atheism for most of his adult life, stated finally that the fine-tuned universe arguments convinced him to the point where he said, I am very much impressed with the case for Christianity. It was as if he finally accepted that he was, indeed, without excuse in refusing to believe in God. His last book is called There Is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. Some strident atheist voices today are quite mistaken as to the true nature of faith and seem to think it's only some kind of poor substitute for evidence. They keep demanding that we should go by empirical results, meaning opinions based on experience and observation rather than vague theory. Well then, science at its most empirical says life comes from life. Life does not come from non-life. The ancient Greeks had believed that small animals such as worms, mice and maggots sprang to life automatically from the non-living matter around, such as rotting flour, a sweaty shirt or decaying meat. This belief that living matter arose from non-living material is called spontaneous generation. The idea of maggots coming spontaneously to life out of decaying meat was, however, successfully challenged in 1668 by the Italian biologist Francesco Redi, when he covered the meat with gauze to prevent flies from laying their eggs on it. No maggots appeared in the meat; they actually hatched, indeed, from the flies' eggs. A hundred and fifty years ago, Frenchman Louis Pasteur confirmed this result proving once and for all that spontaneous generation doesn't happen. So there's no empirical evidence for life arising without the necessity for the existence of God. There's no such thing as a simple cell. The so-called simplest bacterial cell is still a veritable factory of a hundred thousand million atoms, much more complex than anything which we humans have ever made. The gulf between this and anything non-living is as vast and absolute as anyone could care to imagine. Anthony Flew, 
the converted atheist whose comments about the fine-tuned universe that we quoted earlier also concluded from the microscopic world of the cell that the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are necessary to produce life shows that intelligence must have been involved. But you may vaguely remember a recent headline claiming life had been artificially created in the laboratory. Headlines, however, are often misleading. Let's try to explain what really happened. Just as computers use a computer code made up of programmed instructions, the cells in our body use the genetic code. In other words, cells process information in a similar way to computers. The living cell is like an incredibly powerful computer. What was done recently in that publicised lab experiment was the equivalent of making a careful copy of one version of Microsoft Windows and turning to another computer which had previously been using a different version of Microsoft Windows and loading instead this new copy version onto it so that when we next switch that computer on that computer can now do some things which it couldn't do before. But this process doesn't involve developing a totally new brand of software nor does it involve building computer hardware that didn't exist previously. It simply used a software design and a computer that had already existed, which means the headline about life having been created in the laboratory was very misleading. We said cells are like computers, and most of the workings of the cell are best described not in terms of material stuff, which we might call the hardware, but in terms of information, or software. So, trying to make life by just mixing chemicals in a test tube, as in earlier laboratory experiments, is like soldering switches and wires in an attempt to produce Microsoft Windows. That's confusing hardware with software, which leaves scientists to this very day still puzzling over how life could have arisen from non-living chemicals. The key question is, how did the hardware of non-living molecules ever manage to write its own software? You see, understanding the chemistry as we do still doesn't help us explain the origin of information. It's clear that the physical layout of letters on a printed page is independent of the chemical makeup of that printed page. And it's also true that the physical order of the chemical letters in our DNA is independent of their chemistry. But it's precisely the arrangement of letters, either on the page or in our cells, that gives meaning and holds the vital information. And so it follows that chemistry experiments can never explain life's origin. Only the existence of God can explain the origin of information. And so atheism is indefensible. Oh, my Savior, God,
Thanks for your talk today, Brian. It may have raised questions for some people. So if you're a listener and it's raised any issues with you, then please do write in to Brian. Now, as usual, there's a transcript booklet available for this series. So, And again, it's entirely free. We don't share any of your details with anyone else. So if you'd like us to send you one or more copies, perhaps one to pass on to a friend, then ask for the title, For Good Reasons to Believe. You can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. If you use email, then please include your postal address so that we can send the booklets to you. And you can also find some past programmes and helpful material on our website at www.searchfortruth.org.uk So thanks for your company and please join us again next week if at all possible. But until then, it's our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye for now and may God richly bless you. <laughs>